Let's let's circle back. Are you good? In, are you good? In yeah, I do it all the time. Boom. All right, Tim is going to read the passage. So come on up, Tim.
come together, God, as a church and sing songs of praise and, and worship and confess and partake in the Lord's Supper. God, thank you that, that we get a chance to do that as a body. Um, and God, we, we thank you for um, the gospel ministry, both both locally and abroad. God, we thank you especially for the ministry that was done this morning at, at the, the main campus, Pleasant Grove. God, we, we thank you for the sermon and the gospel that was preached. And we pray that the gospel goes out and is fruitful. God, we also thank you for the, the mission team in the Dominican Republic, specifically, God, for, for Ash and, and Josh, and, and that their ministry be safe and that their, their ministry be fruitful. And God, we just ask that um, here in the next few minutes, as, as we look at your word and we, and we look at this story, God, that you open up our hearts and our minds and, and that you speak to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So Tim read a little bit of stuff. It was, it was pretty long. Um, that's how it goes sometimes with these narrative passages. You know, you have a, you kind of have a lot to cover here. So if you remember last week, we sort of started this series called Wrestling with God. And we're, we're looking at the life of Jacob. Well, this week we were going to the next chapter. Last week was 25. This week is chapter 26. And this chapter is, is almost an aggression in a sense. And when you look at commentaries, they actually sometimes call this chapter a aggression because you're stepping away from the Jacob and the Esau narrative, and you're focusing on Isaac. And we see two main events in Isaac's life. And um, we're going to talk about them both. This, this event of him saying that his sister, or his wife, is actually a sister, and then this other event with the wells. And I think what they show us, it shows us a little bit about Isaac, but it mainly shows us about God, and it mainly shows us about God and how he keeps his promises. I think by looking at these two events in Isaac's life, we see how... God's promises persist despite our actions and despite the actions of others. So we see that first by, by looking at the first five verses again. Um, I'm just going to read. I'm going to reread them here. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Amalek, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, "Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you." Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my command, my statutes, and my laws. So we see the, the context here is, is Isaac's hit a little bit of turbulence in his life. He has a famine, which, for those of you who don't know, a famine is when they run out of food, which is generally bad. Um, you typically need food to survive. So they're out of food. So they think the logical thing would be to go to Egypt, right? It's, it's the big, bad superpower of this time. Surely Egypt has food. But God shows up. God shows up and speaks to Isaac directly. And he basically says, don't do that. Because I've made this promise, and this promise is in this land. So stay here in this land and be part of my promise. Then he restates the promise that he does to Abraham. It's very similar to the original formulation of the promise to Abraham, except there's something really interesting in verse 5 that I want to look at here for a second. Because Abraham obeyed. So when we look at this covenant here that, that God is making to Isaac, who is the guarantor of the covenant? Yes, it's God, but also there seems to be this peace where because Abraham obeyed, we know that the promise is sure. Because of Abraham's obedience, the covenant will continue. 
And what, what the, the Bible is doing here, it's setting up what's called a type. So for those of you who don't know, a type is when something happens in the Old Testament that points to something else happening in the New Testament. The way I think about it, and this is kind of a really lame, simple definition, but it's almost like, like an Easter egg, right, that you see in a movie or a book or a comic or something, where there'll be this like little subtle thing in the corner, and you're like, oh man, I wonder what that is there for. And that's because it's letting you know or it's cluing you in on something that's going to be happening earlier. This happens all the time in the Old Testament, and that's part of what's happening here. Isaac is making a covenant with God, but Isaac's righteousness is not the basis for this covenant. Someone else's righteousness is the basis for this covenant. In this case, it's Abraham, but it's a shadow or a type of the type of covenant we have with God, where it's Jesus's righteousness that is the basis, not ours. So because of this, because this covenant is made based on God and based on Abraham's righteousness and not Isaac's righteousness, then we have the assurance, and Isaac has the assurance, that the covenant will be true. If he stays in the land that God has promised, he's not going to die. God's not going to leave him to die. God is going to maintain the covenant that he made with Abraham. It will persist despite the current challenges. So let's see what happens. God shows up and reaffirms the covenant. And you should think that, oh man, Isaac's got it. It's going to go great. Obviously does not. Let's, let's read a few more verses here. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the man of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. So, one thing that that I was thinking about and me and Ash talked about this verse a lot with Isaac is, are we really sure he's a good guy? There's actually a lot of evidence that Isaac is, is not a good guy. There's actually a lot of evidence that he's kind of, as, as we say, and this is a really intense theological word here, there's evidence that he's kind of an idiot. Um, so let's, let's recap some of the things here in uh, Isaac's life or some of the things that show that maybe he's not the best dude. Um, one, he has like no space in, in Genesis. So we have ten chapters of Abraham and we have ten chapters of Jacob. We only have about three chapters of Isaac. And he lived 180 years. So in his life of 180 years, we only really see three chapters. Um, we, we also have this thing where Abram had an experience with God, and his name was changed to Abraham. Jacob has an experience with God. His name is changed to Israel. Isaac does not have this sort of come-to-God moment that leads to a renewed name and a new name change. And finally, it kind of seems like Isaac and Esau are basically the same dude, which is really interesting to think about with God's choosing. But if you look back up in verse 20, chapter 25, verse 28, um, we talked about this verse last week, but just to reread it, now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. So you see that Isaac's favorite son is Esau based almost purely on the fact that Esau is a man's man who's a good hunter and makes good food. So we see Isaac making choices based on his stomach. And in the next chapter that we'll talk about next week, chapter 27, I don't want to get too much into this because this is what Ash is going to talk about. But the whole scene with the blessings and the passing out the blessings to Jacob and Esau, Isaac approaches it in a way. Am I feeding back? Isaac is approaching it in a way that is dominated by his stomach, right? He tells Esau to go out and get him some food and then come back and then I'll do it. And basically, you see Isaac and Esau making decisions based on their stomach 
and based on base impulses rather than based on anything deeper. So Isaac maybe isn't the best dude. So despite everything that Isaac has experienced here, which has been a lot, right? So Isaac just had God show up and reaffirm the promise that he made to, to him. And in, if you want to go through Isaac's story, what we do know about him, Genesis chapter 21, Isaac is born, and it's kind of a miraculous birth. Both his parents are super old. We all know the story of Abraham and Sarah and how they waited forever for the promised child. Now the promised child is there. So from the get-go, his actual birth is miraculous. Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is told to sacrifice Isaac. So Isaac, as a young boy, has heard the voice of God from heaven and saw God produce a ram in a thistle. Genesis 24, the way Isaac meets his wife isn't inherently miraculous, but it's definitely super providential. Abraham sends out a servant and says, the woman who comes and draws water and, and gives water to the camels and the, fir- the woman who does that, that's the woman that you should marry. And a woman shows up and does that and she happens to be exactly who they're looking for. So that's at least providential in the very least. And then in this very chapter, we see God show up and speak to Isaac directly and reaffirm this covenant. So Isaac has had all these things happen throughout his life. His life is characterized by miraculous act of God and his God's grace. But at the first sign of trouble, he turns his back on that. He's scared and he runs, right? He, he says that his wife is his sister. Why? Because he's worried that the men will kill them. And it's easy to look at that and be like, man, Isaac, you're ridiculous. Because it kind of is ridiculous, except I think that's all of us. I think we all do that to a certain extent. All of us, if we sat down, can think about our lives or the lives of those around us and list off all these times that God has showed up and God has done something miraculous and providential. And even still, whenever we have a hard time, we still think to ourselves, I know God is faithful, but like, what if he isn't this time? Like, what if God doesn't continue to be God? Um, That's what Isaac did here, and that's what we can do in our lives. So that's what we need to be cautious of. But let's, let's read the story. Let's see what happens next. Verses 8 through 16. It came about when he had been there a long time that Ambalek, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw and behold Isaac. So I have a different translation than you guys. So my translation uses a much more aggressive word than the ESV. ESV says laughing. NASB says that Isaac, Isaac and Rebekah were caressing. Then Ambulate called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. So that's what happened. So they were being married, and the king of the Philistines saw him and said, That's definitely not your sister. Um, so just, just to clear that up. <laughs> Going, moving on. Let's see. Oh, man, I lost my place. Okay, Ambulate said... What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Ambulic charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man and his wife shall surely be put to death. Now Isaac showed in that, sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household. So the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells... Okay. Yeah, so this, I think the outcome is, is super interesting. It's not what we would expect. Isaac does something dumb. And what does God do? God 
blesses him and makes him super rich, which is not the expected outcome. I think there's two things we need to think about here. Uh, The first thing is that the Old Testament is typically descriptive and not prescriptive. So what that means is a lot of times the Old Testament is just telling you what happened. Um, It's not telling you you should do it. Uh, So there's a lot of examples of that where people do really dumb stuff in the Old Testament, like Isaac here, like Abraham a bunch of times, David, all of the biblical heroes, it is recorded where they did dumb stuff. That doesn't mean you should go out and do the same stuff they did. It's just telling you that's what happened because that's what happened. And the second thing is that we don't need to correlate um, monetary blessing especially in Isaac's case, but, but in the world around us. We don't need to equate monetary blessing with God's approval. Um, sometimes people are wicked, and from that wickedness they get monetary blessing or some sort of wealth, and that doesn't mean God approves. God does what he does for his purposes. And we see here that the reason God is raising Isaac up is to show how awesome he is, not how awesome Isaac is. So the only actions we see Isaac do in this whole story so far is at worst or at best deceitful and at worst evil, right? Best case scenario, he was trying to convince these people that his wife is a sister. At worst, he was intentionally trying to deceive them just to be a jerk. So the the only thing we see Isaac do here isn't great, but God still blesses him. And the reason God does that is because he is showing his awesomeness and his promise. Because Isaac is still part of the covenant. Isaac is the next part of the covenant. So God is still showing his faithfulness to his covenant people, which at this point is Isaac. So it's showing that God keeps his promises despite what Isaac is doing. And and it works, right? Amulek looks and he sees that something is different. He sees that God is the one in control here. Verse 16, when Amulek said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. Later, we don't get, we're not covering this passage today, but later in verse 28, Amulek comes back to Isaac and asks to make a covenant with him. And the reason why is he sees that God is on Isaac's side. Verse 28 says, they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. So they, they're coming back, and they're coming back to make a covenant with Isaac because they see that the Lord is plainly with him. So that's what God was doing. He's blessing Isaac, despite how dumb he is, to show that his promises persist, to show that they continue. So let's go on to, the, to these wells here, verses 16 through 22. Then Amalek said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water, which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too, so he named it Sitna. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth, for he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. So we read this passage, 
and, and I don't think we get the gravity of it because we're like, oh man, he tried to dig a well and then some people came and said, you can't have that well. So he dug another well and then finally he had a well and it was fine. But what we missed today in 2019 is in this time period, wells were life and death. Like it was a matter of life and death. You needed water to live. That's why in the ancient Near East, you see civilizations kind of grouped around rivers. Why was Egypt so big and bad? Because they had the Nile, the Nile Delta. Why did Mesopotamia become the first civilization? Because of the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers created this water fertile crescent valley. So why, what do you do if you're in the desert? What do you do if you're not near a giant body of water that floods and leaves you perfect floodplains to plant your crops on? You make a well. So that's what they did. They, they made a well. And you need the well because you need water. Without water, you don't have animals. You don't have servants. You don't have people. And when we look at Isaac's group here, Isaac has basically a village with him at this point. He's a very wealthy man, which means he has servants and herdsmen and employees and also his own family. So he's digging these wells. He makes these wells. And then people come and they say, you can't use this well. This is my well. And so he has to go and he has to find another well. And outside of the providence of God... He does not have any guarantee that he will find a, another well, right? This, this could be the time where they don't find another well, and then everyone dies. Obviously, that's not going to happen because God's promise persists, but that's, that's the fear, right? And on top of that, these conflicts they're having aren't like simple disagreements you might have with a neighbor over a fence line. Like, these are, these are wars. These are people with swords fighting for access to water. Because that equals life. So Isaac knows that. He knows that as he enters these conflicts, that he could die. That it's high stakes. Um, but in light of this, though, he keeps going. He keeps trusting God. And then in, in the middle of all this, we have such a beautiful picture here. In verse 22, at last the Lord has made room for us. And we will be fruitful in the land. Part of this promise that God has made to us for those of us who are in Christ, and he made to Isaac. Um, it can't be broken based on the actions of us, based on the actions of Isaac. But it also can't be broken based on the actions of others. Things that happen to you, whether cruel or hard or, or difficult or, or anything, it can't thwart God's plans in your life. God's plans and will is bigger than that, bigger than anything that happens. If you're in Christ, you have the assurance that God has made a place for you, even if you don't see that right now or feel that right now, God has made a place for you. And that's, that's the assurance that we have. And that's the assurance Isaac had. God had made that promise to him back at, back at the top of chapter 26, that stay in this land because this is the covenant land. And if you stay here, I will have a place for you. And that's the assurance we have. No matter what happens in life, you have a, God has prepared a place for you. So that, that's what we have. The promise persists despite the world around us. And this section kind of wraps up the way, the way that it starts, right, with a restatement of the covenant here. So kind of to conclude, I'm much shorter winded than Ash. So if you're like, man, why is it over so soon? It's because I'm much shorter winded than Ash. Um, that's the explanation. Uh, yeah, so this, this section begins the way that it ends with, with God restating his covenant. And we see that in verse 23. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, 
I am the I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your servants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and caught upon called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So we, we see God showing up again a second time to Isaac, basically resetting the promise. And he's saying, because of what Abraham did, because of the righteousness that Abraham had, I am extending this covenant to you. I will continue my covenant to you. And we've seen through Isaac's own wrongdoing and the, I guess, conflict he had with the tribesmen in the area, that that's not going to shake God's covenant. God's promises and covenant will persist in spite of Isaac's shortcomings and in spite of the jacked up world around him. And that's the promise we have. If we're in Christ, because our covenant is rooted in the actions of Jesus and not our own actions, then we can't break it and neither can the world. And a a verse that I really thought of um, as I'm reading this is, it's one we all know, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's what this verse looks like. If you are called according to God's purpose, anything that the world throws at you, whether your own dumbness or the dumbness of the world around you, God is going to spin it and work it and make it part of his plan because God is bigger than that and he's able to do that. So bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us. Dear God, Thank you so much for this day, and, and thank you for your promises, and, and that they're true, and that they're good. Just help us to trust you and to follow you, God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.